break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 26th of January, 2022. Very happy to be back with you here on the show. And we got plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. We're going to be talking about how the air you breathe could be taking years off your life. We're going to say a little bit more about the ridiculousness of billionaires in this world. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we want to start with NATO, Russia, and the possibility of war. The conflict between NATO and Russia continues at a boil as the U.S., the U.K., the Baltic states, and other NATO powers continue to up the ante. Interestingly enough, Ukrainian officials seem to be trying to take a step back from the brink, while Russia remains determined to make a stand for what it views as an important moment for its national interest. Denmark is sending fighter jets and a frigate to the Baltics. Spain is sending a warship to the Black Sea. The U.S. is placing thousands of troops on high alert and saying they're readying to send them to Europe. And France is offering to send troops to Romania. NATO has launched major naval drills in the Mediterranean involving the U.S. aircraft carrier USS Harry Truman. Ironically enough, the U.S. president who launched the first Cold War as we approach something that looks like a new one. Russia has naval drills going in the Black Sea and the Arctic, is engaging in live fire exercises in the Baltic enclave of Kaliningrad, and is engaging in drills with the military of Belarus. Russia is also saying that they will quickly take quote-unquote retaliatory measures if their demands around regional relations are not met. Despite the steady drumbeat from the U.S. and U.K. in particular that Russia is planning to invade Ukraine— Ukrainians now seem to be regretting their previous enthusiasm for confrontation. Ukraine's foreign minister told the press that Russian troop numbers were, quote, insufficient for a large-scale offensive, and that, quote, they are still missing some key military elements and systems to mount a big full-scale offensive, end quote. So in other words, Ukraine is now saying that all the bluster about Russian invasions and massive forces just about to cross the border is, in fact, false. Ukrainian officials also met today with the Russian delegation in Paris, talks that are being overseen by France and Germany. This was the same setup that established the Minsk Accords designed to bring peace to the region and comes about a week after French President Emmanuel Macron stated that there needed to be a new track of negotiations excluding the Americans. As the French statement about that suggests, the crisis has been testing the NATO alliance where there are clearly differences on how to address Russia. In particular, a full-court press is being mounted against Germany and the Anglo-American media for arguing for a more moderate course. Germany has, for some time, had a significant, and in recent decades, really a majority of its political forces argue for a non-confrontational approach to Russia, and many prominent Germans and average people want the two countries to collaborate closely. Germany has pointed out how all the war games and arms shipments are not actually changing the situation on the ground and simply escalating the crisis unnecessarily and they've resisted engaging in some of these belligerent activities that others are. 
France also seems less than enamored with the escalation as well. However, there's a strong push on from the U.S. and the U.K. to present any dissent as treasonous and refusal to stand up against quote-unquote authoritarianism. Ultimately, it seems fairly clear that the more aggressive nations in NATO are looking to use the crisis to deepen consensus around a confrontational approach to Russia. As the U.S. National Defense Strategy notes, quote, the principal priorities for the U.S. are countering China and Russia, that there needs to be increased and sustained investment to achieve this countering. And as we are seeing, the chief result of the crisis so far has been indeed to build a growing consensus in Europe towards more confrontational policies and to create a cudgel to beat the countries who might disagree with that course of things into getting in line. The course of the crisis will be affected this week once NATO issues its official response to Russia's demands, which more or less boil down to a statement that Ukraine will not be allowed to enter NATO. NATO has steadily expanded east since 1991, which it had said in so many words it would not do. And it has expanded on the basis of countering Russia explicitly. So Russia wants assurances that a policy that's clearly designed to place a number of countries right on its border that are under the Anglo-American nuclear umbrella will not happen. They want NATO to say that they will not allow Ukraine to become a member. NATO says they are unwilling to do this. So really, the whole thing comes down to whether or not NATO wants to rattle the nuclear saber even more to intimidate Russia from pursuing its own foreign policy, or if they are willing to step back from a conflict they have clearly blown way out of proportion in the interest of peace. The Fight Inequality Alliance, the Institute for Policy Studies, Oxfam, and a group called Patriotic Millionaires hmm, have released an interesting new report titled, quote, Taxing Extreme Wealth, an Annual Tax on the World's Multimillionaires and Billionaires, What It Would Raise and What It Could Pay For. The report, if nothing else, reveals the extremely perverse reality of modern capitalism that a tiny handful of people live in unimaginable luxury at the expense of the vast majority of the globe living below, at, or only precariously above the poverty line. Some of what the report has found includes that 3.6 million people have over $5 million in wealth, with a combined wealth of $75.3 trillion, that 183,300 households own over $50 million for a combined wealth of $36.4 trillion, and that there are 2,660 billionaires in the world with a total combined wealth of $13.7 trillion. And they note that just a very modest tax on this wealth, 2% on 5 million and up, 3% on over 50 million, and 5% on 1 billion and up could raise $2.5 trillion in wealth worldwide. And they also note that increasing that to 5% on 50 million and up and 10% on a billion and up could raise 3.6 trillion. That's obviously a lot of money. What sort of difference could it make for the people of the world? Well, as the report notes, it would be enough to, quote, lift 2.3 billion people out of poverty, make enough vaccines for the whole world, and deliver universal health care and social protection for all the citizens of low and lower middle income countries, 3.6 billion people. So even just a modest increase in taxation on the wealth of the world's richest could easily change the lives of billions of people for the better, which gives you just even more of a sense of how absurd it is that this is not even really on the global agenda. The world really is allowing a huge number of people, really the majority, to live in terrible circumstances so a few can live in luxury. Karl Marx once said, the accumulation of wealth at one pole is the accumulation of misery at the other. Seems about right to me.
the 1990s, a study from Harvard University found that living in a city with major pollution could shave two to three years off your life. Since then, there has been a much bigger focus on the impact of soot from air pollution, often referred to as fine particulate matter. Currently, the Biden administration is considering tightening the standards around this fine particulate matter in the air as part of a pledge to address environmental issues, in particular environmental racism, given that often areas with the worst air pollution tend to be those inhabited by working class people of color. As the issue of having years shaved off your life implies, this fine particulate matter is a serious issue. As the New York Times details, quote, exposure to fine particulate matter has long been linked to respiratory illness and impaired cognitive development in children. The tiny particles can enter the lungs and bloodstream to affect lung function, exacerbate asthma, and trigger heart attacks and other serious illness. Research has found that exposure to particulate matter contributed to about 20,000 deaths a year. As the discussion about tightening the standards takes place, a new study has just been released detailing that a just slightly tighter standard around fine particulate matter could have prevented at least 143,000 deaths over a decade. The study was also the first to look at how these issues are affecting rural areas as well, and it details how wildfires and some issues around harvest in large-scale agriculture also have a serious impact on people's health by creating a lot of this fine particulate matter, even if it is in a more occasional way. As Daniel S. Greenbaum, president of the Health Effects Institute, noted about the study, quote, we found a risk of dying early from exposure to air pollution, even at very low levels of air pollution. End quote. The study noted that if the current allowable levels of this soot in the air, 12 micrograms per cubic meter, was lowered to 10 micrograms per cubic meter, it could have saved those 143,000 lives mentioned earlier. The EPA is required by law to consider this evidence as well as other similar scientific evidence as they make a new rule. So this at least gives us a baseline to establish whether or not whatever new rule they do come up with will work. There's substantial pushback, however, from certain industries who pollute because of the obvious reasons. This will impose more cost on them to not pollute. While reports are that most business groups are resigned to a new rule, they are pushing for it to be not that strong. So we shall see what comes from the Biden administration. But if nothing else, it's quite clear that the air we breathe is not truly safe. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. 